You've tuned in to the Message to Kings podcast, where we tell the complete history. Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. This is your host, Brett Heaston, episode 27, Balaam, part two. Last week, we concluded the episode with the completion of the prophecies of Balaam and the spiritual concept of witchcraft. In this episode, we complete the story of Balaam and introduce a good guy who saves the day. The good guy will not be Moses or Joshua, but a new one-time hero whose name is Phinehas. At this point, Balaam, though a sorcerer, I would classify as a good sorcerer or maybe even a reformed sorcerer on the mend. But without cross-referencing the Bible against itself, you wouldn't know what happens next. This is that mysterious concept that the Bible defines the Bible. Without cross-referencing itself, you don't get a complete picture. It leads to that famous verse that really defines this podcast. Proverbs 25.2 It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. To complete the story of Balaam, we'll be jumping around from scripture to scripture, and we will conclude the episode with the famous New Testament references back to Balaam. Balaam now takes a back seat just for a moment as the central figure, but it does state in Numbers 31.16 that Balaam advised Balak and others to send their women to seduce the Israelites into making false covenants by conducting ritualistic idol worship occultic practices. In other words, the women seduced the Israelite men by sexual means into devious acts, which were part of their demonic worship. In fact, many of the ritualistic practices were sexual acts themselves. A priestess of a pagan religion was considered many times a prostitute, and we'll talk about this when we get to Jericho and Rahab. This is how I imagine it, not the seduction, but the scene between Balaam and Balak. It's almost like Balak angrily sent Balaam away, and then Balak caught up with Balaam on the road and asked him, Hey Balaam, it's okay, I understand. Sorry, I got so mad. You cannot curse him, I understand. Trust me, I'm not happy. But is there anything else we can do? Balaam paused and stopped his donkey, ignoring the glare of his donkey, and looked in Balak and responded, We cannot do anything to them spiritually. All you can do is trick them into bowing down to your God, and then you will have them. He scratches his head. Um, try this. Send your women to them to seduce them. Then Balak started back upon his donkey and headed back down the road. I can almost imagine this scene as Balak turns away from Balaam on the road, as if it was passing nature for Balaam to give this advice. Clearly his heart was still against God and his people, but it was this advice and this counsel that led to the next scene and the doom of Balaam. Balaam disobeyed God at this point. God told Balaam over and over, only speak what I tell you. Balaam signed his death warrant and eternal shame at this moment in what is called the error of Balaam. 
Balaam will be remembered for eternity for this one deed. Eternal shame, the death of 24,000 Israelites, and the destruction of Midian with these passing false counsel words. Also, forever Balaam will be known as a false prophet in the eyes of Israel, but more significantly, a false teacher. You have to admit, I was actually starting to like this guy. Balak runs with this advice. Numbers 25. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate this sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. False covenants were made at that moment with idol worship. According to Josephus, it was very elaborate. The female seduction was very calculated to force the submission of the men. The Israelites were willing to do whatever these women wanted, for their lust was so great. Here's the rest of the account. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. Then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. And then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. This guy Phinehas becomes the Israelites' hero in this episode. And here's another example of this new generation. They had to take action into their own hands. When Korah's rebellion occurred, Aaron stood between the living and the dead with his censer interceding and praying for them. In this account, Phineas takes up a spear. Action is required to possess territory and maintain it. And intercession is done with the sword. A new generation, a new strategy, a new form of spiritual warfare. How about this story for intensity? It gets more intense if you look at it. His spear pierced two people with one blow. Either the two people were very, very close to each other, or the velocity of the spear must have been tremendous, or even supernatural. For a Bronze Age spear to go through one person and into the another must have been incredible for its day. Severe punishment in the midst of severe sin. Now the story advances to the vengeance upon Midian. Numbers 31. The Lord said to Moses, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that you will be gathered to your people. So Moses said to the people, Arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites, so they may carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So twelve thousand men armed for battle, a thousand for each tribe, were supplied from the clans of Israel. Moses sent them into battle, a thousand from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, who took with them articles from the sanctuary and the trumpets for signaling. They fought against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every man. Among their victims were Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, 
and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. The Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took all the Midianite herds, flocks, and goods as plunder. Take note here. Numbers 31.9. Among the dead was the five kings of Midian and Balaam of Beor. According to some accounts, it was Phinehas who killed the kings and Balaam. It is interesting how God told the Israelites to take vengeance on the Midianites. Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron, is now the hero who leads the 12,000 out to battle. First, he takes a spear to the center in the camp. Now he leads them in battle and takes out Balaam, the greatest sorcerer of his age. Son of the high priest, contrary to the law of Moses, was going into battle against the false prophet, head to head, God's man won. There's a particular, a peculiar event here. The Midianites did not receive complete judgment. A remnant of them remained in the form of um, their virgin girls. And, and why, you ask? Two reasons. They were not a true Canaanite tribe with Nephilim pollution. And also, Moses had ties to Midian, for his wife Zipporah was from there, and so was Jethro, his father-in-law. So this is where Phineas drops off the Bible accounts, at least for a time. And let's get back to Balaam. To recap, Balaam encountered God through a donkey, couldn't curse Israel but bless them, and encountered God. Afterward, he gave false counsel to the enemy kings of Israel, which led to grave sin. This false counsel or teaching led to deaths of thousands, and the Lord took out his vengeance against an entire kingdom, and among the dead was Balaam. All right, so Balaam's dead. So if the biblical entries ended here of Balaam, the story would be great. I mean, really a great story full of warfare, a false prophet, God's people, and redemption. But what makes it more significant is the infamy of the story. It survives into our New Testament vernacular today. Besides references to Balaam in Numbers, Deuteronomy, Nehemiah, and Micah, Balaam appears to survive 1,500 years into the New Testament in 2 Peter, Jude, and in the Age of Revelation and the End Times. Let's start with the reference to Balaam in the book of Revelation. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, Apostle John has an encounter with Jesus around 96 A.D., and he's told to write seven letters to seven churches, and he was told about the events of the end of the world up to and after Jesus' return to the earth. One of these letters is written to the church of Pergamon in modern-day Turkey. God, speaking through John, praises the faithfulness of the church in Pergamon. But he did condemn them for something fascinating. Revelation 2.14 Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Here is a reference back to Balaam and his teaching. What teaching you ask? It has to be that interesting postscript scene where we do not have the true dialogue, where Balaam teaches Balak how to ensnare the Israelites through immorality. It is referred to as the teaching of Balaam. Simply defined, the teaching of Balaam is a prophetic false teaching that leads to sin. 
This is where we arrive at the spiritual concept of false teachers. Balaam knew Israel couldn't be defeated physically or spiritually, but he did know that he could trick them into surrendering that legal right that was given to them by God. Balaam's teaching was seduction into separating God from his people through sin, just like in the Garden of Eden. It was cunning and deceptive and deadly. In the book of Revelation, the teaching of Balaam was a similar experience where some were twisting the faith in Christ to compromise to allow sin and seduction and false worship. In the time of Rome, disgusting pagan practices similar to Baal worship was very similar. In fact, many of the false little g-gods of this time were repackaged by the Greeks and Romans into their own vernacular. All deception has a layer of truth, and temptation attempts to come at the justification of one's mind. After the time of the book of Revelation, the persecuted Christian church would grow and grow into thriving communities. The outside danger of persecution was part of the walk with Jesus at the time, and it weeded out the half-hearted and helped grow the church. But the greater danger of the early Christian church was the inside dangers or the internal dangers of false teachers coming in and distracting the flock. Considerable effort was taken to keep out false teachings that drew the faithful away from the primary focus of Jesus and his worship. All through church history, there is a considerable attack upon the doctrines and focus of Jesus to entice people into other pursuits that lead away from Jesus and into sin. Much of the focus of the New Testament writers was to keep the focus on Jesus and away from false doctrines of the faith. Here's a quote from James 1.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Ouch. That verse would give anyone the fear of the Lord if they thought about it long enough. What this means for today, for all those who teach in our education systems and those who mentor others, is quite staggering. You will be judged more strictly. Greater judgment awaits those who mislead a fool to sin than the fool who sins. To add some more weight to this, since it is such a deep topic, here is the last four verses in the Bible. I warn everyone who hears the words of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to this person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Balaam had a form of godliness, but denied God's transforming power in his life. What does it say in Romans? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you will be saved, Balaam never truly acknowledged God or believed in God in his heart. He experienced him and accepted his power and even prophesied and understood his sovereignty, but not over his life. His heart was not for God. His heart was still against God, for he plotted with God's enemies to destroy his people. Apostle Peter wrote a letter, which later became a book in the Bible describing wickedness in Second Peter. He referenced false prophets and false teachers in this chapter, and Balaam was his reference. Second Peter chapter 2 
But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. He continues to verse 10. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they were stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoned animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. The idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, revealing in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who followed the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mist driven by the storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastery over them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are coming again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning." It would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverb is true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a pig that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. According to this verse, false teachers are truly judged at a higher level. Even deepest darkness is reserved for them. And infamously, Balaam's deception is referred to as the way of Balaam. And before, he was referred to as the teaching of Balaam. Infamous evil lives on in the form of Balaam. Talk about the judgment for this man. And any man who walks away, according to verse 21, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. And the conclusion of the matter is very profound. They are like a dog returning to its vomit or a washed pig returning to the mud. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's hear Jesus' direct words related to false prophets and teachers. Matthew seven thirteen. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. 
But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we discuss the legacy of Moses, his mysterious death, and the passing of the torch to the next generation. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.